Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today, we're talking a movie from 2023, Anatomy of a Fall. To say this is a foreign language film, that's like saying past lives. Non-English, non-English language film. Well, for one thing, Sandra Hewler doesn't speak very good French. Like in real life, I guess it's pa- she don't passable. speak good French. Well, yeah, she don't speak French good. <laughs> Obviously, ridiculous to be critical when she speaks in this movie English, German, and and French. Well, that was part of her character, right? That she's not equipped to speak French, especially not in like a high court level. Sure, but other times she chooses not to speak at all, and is is it kind of resting bitch face, like? Do Because am I wrong in suggesting that she feels at times very icy, very stoic, very unemotional in a, like an Andy Dufresne kind of way? And you say Andy Dufresne because he was also a wrongfully indicted murderer whoa, and in whoa, his case whoa, convicted. Whoa, 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 whoa. St- are you taking a position this early? I'm simply saying both of them could help themselves in their testimonies by being maybe a bit more melty. A bit more accessible and a little less icy. Right. Is that a misdirect? Because as we mentioned in our discussion for the Shawshank Redemption uh, available now at orwhatevermovies.com. Or wherever you get podcasts. Despite the fact that this is, what, 30 years ago now, Andy was not exactly positioned as an innocent and wrongly accused man. It wasn't obvious that he was innocent. And even that was told in an anatomy of the fall kind of way in flat. This is all spoilers in flashback when we don't know for sure if it's true. So let's just get to it then. You don't think that Sandra Voiter is innocent? Sandra Huller doesn't know if Sandra is her name. Name was Sandra both times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, doesn't know for sure if her character is innocent. Although Justine Triate, writer director, told her to play her supposedly as innocent. Not that she is supposed to act innocent. Well, she's not a pounding her fists on the table, pleading with everybody innocent. Like, these are the kinds of characters that I just want to shake and be like, do yourself a favor and tell <laughs> everybody you're innocent. Yeah. And that, I think, is the heart of this film. It may as well have been Anatomy of a Marriage, in particular, Sandra's side of that marriage story, which is neither black and white, cut or dry, innocent or guilty. It's all shades. And it's always a little bit difficult and unpleasant. It's what Kelly Ray would call the failed marriage shit show, where murder, should she have been responsible, was almost like an afterthought to the terrible things that they were going through. Now, this wasn't the worst marriage on record, but it was certainly unpleasant to watch. But any more fraught than any other marriage, most of which do not end in murder? No, but even with the gentle resolve, the not happy ending, but the non-murderous resolve of marriage story, I still didn't have a lot of fun watching what was 90% marital discord. 
Isn't it supposed to make you feel good about your relationship? Like, at least we're not as bad as them. Look, I do love hard movies that are challenging, stimulating, and I'm then I'm glad that I'm not in those positions. But also because those characters are positioned to be likable or heroic. And I got nobody like that in this movie. Hmm, interesting. So you did not identify with our main character, Sandra? I mean, no. She was frustrating to me, and I was paying very close attention because you're trying to glean her guilt or innocence from the little things she drops. You know, she tells Samuel, your father was my soulmate, but how do I prove that? You know, and it's all looks and flashbacks, and it wasn't about whether or not she killed him, obviously, because we never got that information. We weren't privileged to be given the actual information. We had to draw our inferences, but it was more about our relationship with the character, and I held her at arm's length because I could never fully trust her. I can see how that would be frustrating for you, because this is a story whose premise, whose plot is exists in order for us to view the characters, in order for the filmmakers to put the characters on display. Whereas a lot of the other characters are simply driving a plot. This plot drives this study in in characters, and in this case, the dynamic between husband and wife and mother and son. And what you're saying is that because you couldn't relate or connect with Sandra, the main character, did she kind of keep you out of the the narrative? Did she keep you out of the mystery? Were you simply judging and skeptical of her the entire time? I was trying to establish how I felt about her, but that changed as new revelations would come to light. This is like legal Rashomon. And when we got the flashback of the fight and how it may or may not have happened, I trusted her a lot less. And I guess that's the way these things unfold. I I definitely found myself rooting for her from then on. I think the the film gained a kind of velocity that I was on board for. And I wrote out the rest of the film really rooting for her, even so much so that at the end, I was still dreading after the acquittal. I was still dreading that there was that something bad would would befall her. But <laughs> Why do you say why do you say that the flashback that may or may not have happened that wasn't Sandra's flashback retelling that was the recording and we went into a flashback that was neither her nor her husband's kind of vision what made you feel like that flashback was unreliable that was in my mind more incriminating She did get aggressive and she was dismissive and he was hurt and she was already frustrated and not interested really in the resolve. As much as she took a more gentle approach, he was devastated and not capable of let's work it out because that was him emoting. That was him releasing his frustrations. And that's different from being aggressive or abusive. He was venting, but she's throwing wine glasses and slapping him. It wasn't a good look for either of them. And that's kind of my point. Watching their interaction in real life, it it was ugly to watch. And being that she was the only one left and the crux was her guilt and responsible for the death of her partner, it was hard not to take for me to take out my kind of frustrations on her. Huh. Yeah, it sounds like you saw Samuel as a a victim. Now, we don't, to get back to the 
recording, we don't see the ending, right? We do rely on her testimony, which may or may not be reliable, that she threw the glass, slapped him, and then he proceeded to hit himself, even though there was like scuffly sounds and stuff going on. We don't exactly know what happened then. I'm a slave to logic. And the logic said, based on the coroner's, the autopsy report, he sustained head trauma before he went out the window. Okay. So he could have been hitting himself. Yeah, he Tyler dirted himself and threw himself out the window. <laughs> he could have it could have been from hitting himself the day before when they're having the argument. Mm. But it could have been that these witnesses, did you not notice that the witnesses for the prosecution had it out for her? None of them were like neutral, like I'm a man of science and this is what science no one was logical. They were like, "Yeah, she seemed she seems like trouble." They were, were they all like failed men who were jealous of her success? Did they have something against her because of her icy exterior? Like what was the deal with the non-neutrality of the prosecution? Was that the film's comment on gender dynamics, on gender bias? Well, I mean, in his non-closing arguments, her counsel says, you know, her only failure was was succeeding where he failed. She was only guilty of succeeding where her husband failed. Does the patriarchy not reign supreme in France or wherever that was held? I felt like they were in their silly costumes and they were just a few years outside of the powdered wigs. I wasn't <laughs> sure if they were deliberately misogynistic or what was the case there. I just chalked it up to Eurocourt and somehow the most biting of sarcasm is not reined in. It's not contempt and it's not like I object like they, he would layer on the sarcasm yeah no we get pretty ugly in America too maybe we mask it a little bit differently remember my cousin Vinny how pissed uh Herman Munster got when Joe Pesci came into court wearing like his leather jacket uh, I don't think I've ever seen it what the hell anyway um in America Joe Pesci from Home Alone oh my god oh my god <laughs> um anyway in in America, in in a modern day court setting, I don't care. Suit, briefcase, polished wingtips. Could skinhead prosecutor have been? Would he have been allowed to stay in court? Can you go into court with a dumb haircut? Didn't he just have like a buzz cut? So I don't know, man. I was like, this. He's like a kid, and he's like a skinhead, and he's awfully abrasive. Like he had a personal vendetta against Voiter. And then they went all Oscar Wilde on her and they were like using her work, her writing to incriminate her. Like, well, she writes like this. She must be bad. OK. Was Danny, the little kid, blind or near blind to eliminate early on our suspicion that he was a freaking murderer? <laughs> Never got that. Never? We know that his ocular nerve was damaged. We know that he could read the fine print on the aspirin bottles and that he could go for walks. And that he's a near dog murderer. Well. Oh, my God. I was so <laughs> mad at him. I was pretty sure that Daniel murdered Samuel for a minute there. Wow. After he drugged Snoop? Yes. To answer your question, I, I never suspected Daniel of being a murderer. No. Did you? He was on a walk. He came back and found his dad in the snow. Right. Which leads me to my second question. I believe he went on a walk because he was so sick of that music. 
were you a little bit glad that Samuel died just so you wouldn't have to hear that music anymore? <laughs> Except that he haunts us from beyond. Oh, my God. Play. They played it. What was that? Was that a steel band, like, Calypso version of Pimp? Something. Of 50 Cent? It's a song that I wasn't familiar with, but in a different way than what happened before. As we talked, I went into uh, past lives in a bad mood. This movie almost immediately put me in a really bad mood. And it wasn't because it was a poorly made film. That music was so annoying to me that I just, I, like, in frustration, I grabbed the remote and I turned it down to a normal level so you could barely hear the music. And they were bouncing between French and English. And Kelly Ray's like, the subtitles have stopped. She's speaking English. I can't hear. Can you turn it up? And I was like, ah! And all pissed. And would turn it up just enough so I could understand. Oh, my God. That music went on for 15 minutes. I was so glad he was dead. But then in death, he wasn't there to turn off that goddamn song. And then later, in the interest of recreating the crime scene, <laughs> they played that song again. And I turned the volume down to nearly zero. But anyway, I was also, I mean, it's, it's intended to be irritating. Yes. But I was definitely thinking, oh, man, oh, man, this is like a foreign film not going anywhere <laughs> or doing anything. They're like chatting and the music is playing and the kids walking around. I'm like, what is happening? Okay. And so obviously we, he was he was playing that music to be deliberately annoying to trip up her interview. I don't know if they would have called it off entirely, you know, but that was the point, right? He was being, to, it wasn't, she, and she was playing it off. Oh, he plays his music. Sometimes it's loud, pretending she wasn't annoyed, but he very, very deliberately sabotaged her interview, right? Yes. Now, if Sandra had been openly flirting and suggestive with a male interviewer, would, would the audience have been more sympathetic would we have held it against her if she had been openly flirting with a dude in her husband's house? So many assumptions here. So first of all, he has no, he had no idea or no way of knowing that they were quote unquote flirting. As far as we know, he was upstairs in his office the entire time. Yeah. And but he never met the interviewer. So to say that he was jealous that she was with a an, attra an attractive female interviewer is bizarre and borderline misogynistic. On and my secondly, part? on the part of the prosecution who relentlessly beat it in that, you know, she was downstairs flirting and it had nothing to do with the fact that she was being interviewed because she's a person of interest and that might be damaging to his pride. That wasn't even an issue. It was no, she was flirting with this woman and she recently had had an affair with a woman, and so therefore he was very sensitive. But he had no way of knowing that they were flirting. And secondly, she wasn't flirting. Mm. You can't have a friendly interview mm. with a, with another person. Mm. Like she wasn't like, "Are you single? You have nice hair. You know, did you cut it yourself?" She's like not talking about inappropriate, suggestive things. Read between the lines, why don't you? Really? So you're saying that regardless of who the interviewer might have been, Samuel was going to blast loud music and be annoying? Yes. You don't think that he was concerned based on the fact that they had just had a very vocal discourse about her infidelity? Yeah. I mean, why is she she's going to just spontaneously bang her interviewer in their living room while no, her son's but, there? But set up the, set, lay the groundwork for future trysts or whatever. I don't know, dude. 
<laughs> no, I don't think one that she was flirting or two that he that that was his cause for sabotaging. The okay. Interview. Next question. Um, I know that I pull strange things out of movies sometimes that are that don't really have to do with the plot. But again, I was watching closely to draw as many conclusions as I could based on the information with which I was presented. You with me? Yep. Would anyone other than a full-blown murderer hold chopsticks like that? <laughs> You're talking about the celebration meal at the end? Yeah, she was crossing... Her chopsticks. I tried for 20 minutes with chopsticks after this movie to pick up anything like that with chopsticks crossed. It was the craziest was, thing I've ever seen. She was she was using the chopsticks like a knife. She was trying to slice her wonton or whatever open. And so she was like slicing from both sides. Right. But she also at one point, multiple points, had the chopsticks in a single hand and they were not parallel. They were crossed. It's crazy. <laughs> this is like your other unfounded theory that everybody who has their typing sound effect on is a murderer. <laughs> on their phone, the clicky sounds? What's yes. wrong with you? Oh, my goodness. But speaking of the celebration meal at the Chinese food restaurant, when they're taking shots and she's like, one more, and he's like, yeah, one for the driver. Did your mind not immediately go to those ominous foreboding shots of the road, like the mountain road in the dark, and like how she wasn't going to make it home to Daniel? The Iron Claw style? Yes. <laughs> um, Spoiler. I'm sure I had that that feeling or whatever. <gasps> but but we you know this movie really does a good job of making faux insinuations or leading us down a road that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere. When she shows up and Marge is there, I was like, thank God. Right? That leads me yeah. to my next question. How convinced were you when Daniel gets all frustrated and wants her to leave? Were you convinced that there was no way that kid was going to last the weekend? Aww. No? Dude, Daniel was a tough-ass kid. He was in the end. Not only did he want to be... Well, he was also... Throughout, they were like trying to dismiss him and put him like put him to the side and he was like no i want to be there i haven't disrupted the court like you have no reason to kick me out or to assume that i can't handle what is being said in there i had no doubt that he would survive yeah no conscience all right so he kind of cried over snoop but that's your damn fault kid well what was he to do he was in a desperate place if samuel committed suicide are you allowing for this possibility at all <laughs> that he committed suicide yeah yeah, it's possible. I don't know that that was that was what happened, but it's possible. Okay, let's speculate further then. Were that to be the case, did he, would he have recorded that fight surreptitiously in order to frame her, to in, in order to make her look as bad as possible? Hmm. I would say that your argument would be stronger if he had transcribed it like he did the other surreptitious recordings. I think that's an interesting question and very possible. He certainly intended to to revisit it, if not have other people revisit it. But if he was trying to frame her, he could have planted more evidence. I was wondering after the fact if he was deliberately provoking her to violence 
throughout the course of that fight. How much was calculated? Because I did think there would be a revelation right. one way or another. We would find out that Danny killed him, that, that Sandra killed him, him, that he killed himself. And the linchpin, right? Just the thing that would that would really connect it all together in an incontestable way. And we never got any of that stuff. So I was left wondering. But because he knew he was recording and she didn't, there was opportunity for performance on his part or embellishment or directional sort of leading arguments. Absolutely. What we do know is that he was provoking her for material. Yeah. Be that violent or otherwise. I mean, that's weird. And I thought it was I felt like the the defense was like asleep at the wheel until they finally spoke up. And they were like, how is everybody in this courtroom missing the point that his recording of this conversation was perverse? Like, regardless of what they're saying, come on. And I thought he had more agency than apparently he did. Or maybe it doesn't matter. Because he died in the end. But I was, you know, who done it? And I didn't know at that point and still don't who did it. Part of me also wondered if he tried to be a fiction writer, maybe this was his legacy. Maybe he was a storyteller through documentary storytelling. You know, maybe (laughs) he couldn't create characters. So he and in death, he was a character and his wife was a character in this macabre play. I mean, when you're desperate, right, you might resort to such means. But I think the filmmakers were making a point to say neither the verdict nor what actually happened was the point. The point was, in this situation, it's lose-lose for the family. They lost their dad. Even if she didn't lose her life going to prison, you know, she lost a part of herself. Her son certainly loses his innocence. I mean, it's one thing to hang out your dirty laundry for other people to see, but it's another to, like, rub it in your kid's face or, like, drag him through the mud. There was some pretty horrific stuff lobbed against his mom before the day the judge wanted to keep him out of the courtroom. Yes, he and he and stuff that he doesn't need to know about. And yet he was instrumental in her acquittal. And though he might have ulterior motives, like... He wants his mom around. It it wasn't clear that he was that he wanted his mom to be acquitted. I think he was afraid of her. I he, you know it certainly seemed like he was a little kid putting the pieces together. Thank goodness he had the information he did because he was able to formulate his own opinion, and like Marge suggested, choose. And he and he chose. He said, "With my mom, I don't, I don't understand it. With my dad, I kind of understand it." He chose, justified his choice, and affected the outcome as a result, which I guess is what we're supposed to do with this movie. We're su- I think we're supposed to make a choice. My opening salvo was going to be, did she murder him or not, in your opinion, and does it matter? Um, you said it that it doesn't matter. really matter. It's not about establishing her guilt, at least. But I, I wonder if a husband had killed his wife or was accused of killing his wife, that would have been a different movie gender dynamics really come into play when she yeah, because men are are aggressors i most of the time the vast majority of the time yes when she came home still under fire for accusations even when that lady was hanging around danny the whole time making sure that a the the case he he didn't discuss the case outside of the courtroom and b making sure that he was safe I guess until the matter was resolved, she was so tender, like when he was asleep and stuff and still so maternal. I wondered 
is if she is a murderer, the murderer, would that compartmentalization have been possible in her? Yeah, I killed your dad, but that doesn't mean I don't love you with all my heart kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, isn't that your mansplanation for how men cheat? And that is what made me think if it was a dude in this who was a, a dude still could be like, yeah, I murdered her, but that doesn't mean I didn't love her. And and so her her being soft and gentle with him out sort of the side of the courtroom doesn't mean that she didn't still do it. Yes, it was possible that she could compartmentalize. And and listen, like I know I sound like I'm decide I'm defending Sandra and I am. But also, who doesn't hate someone who's like, don't worry about me. I write. I can write anywhere. I always write. I write. Don't think about me. That's not the problem's not me. Oh, J.K. Rowling writing in coffee shops and public places and junk. Oh, I'm sure I have my inhibitions or whatever, but I, you know, I don't need to hole away in a French chalet in order to write. But the fact that she was so prolific was so infuriating. Yeah. Thinking again about past lives, I did wonder how writer on writer dynamics would be in a marriage. Like, is it just assumed? And so the time you need to isolate yourself and do whatever to write, that would that happen harmoniously? Or do you have to be like, look, my my inspirational writing time is not your writing time necessarily. It just happens when it happens. And when it happens for both of us, we will either learn to respect it and embrace it, or that will be a point of contention in our relationship. Then they seem to be fine. Charlie and Nora, but in this one, one is more frustrated and stunted than the other. Yeah, it's plundering in this story, whereas in past lives, maybe it's collaboration. Maybe. Maybe it's, let's workshop that. Very interesting. So you sound down on Anatomy of the Fall. It was ugly, and it made me mad. And Dirty Laundry, Ordinary, I mean, I like that stuff, but it was so distasteful to me when I was holding out for a hero. In the morning light, and I just, they were never going to get, I was never going to get that from Sandra. So it made me feel sad for her. And it made me feel like her husband's death was never a tragedy for anyone except Danny. It did have some like legitimate horror elements for me. And the kid is walking around. And at one point, he was in that red sweater. And, uh, and like all Danny Torrance. Right. And Kelly Ray was like, he could totally be Danny in that sweater, right? Wait, he is Danny. And his name was Danny. I don't know. It had elements where you're just you're waiting, you're you're gripping and, and for, for terrible things to happen on the road. For something to happen to just gum up the works and, and make this story and kick this score the story into a different unanticipated gear and it never happened. But for a thing where they sit around and talk, to me it was kind of fraught with tension in a way that I guess was affecting not in a bad way but in a good way i'm not mad at the construction of this movie by any stretch i think it was distinctly non-americanly conceived and executed i'm not sure if it would have worked as an american movie it takes risks it's it's unconventionally un-american and i liked anatomy of a fall it was maybe the biggest curiosity so far this year Anatomy of a Fall left me twisting in the wind. Maybe it's like traveling. Have you ever been traveling where you're miserable the whole time? And then I've long maintained that traveling is mostly fun uh, looking back. 
Right, because afterwards you can be like, remember that time we almost got murdered in Greece? Right, but I mean, traveling is hard, and it's it makes for sl- uncomfortable flights, and sometimes you have trouble sleeping, and you're exhausted, and you get hangry, and you're on a time crunch and stuff, and it seems traveling seems better when you're back home and thinking about it. And you're like, wow, that was a great trip. Right, Anatomy of a Fall feels better after I'd seen it, but it was kind of uncom- I was uncomfortable watching it, and maybe that's a good thing. And your final rating is? I'm going to give it an all right rating. It is an interesting entry into award season that if I had seen it in the dead of, a, of February, I wouldn't have said, someone's going to remember this come Oscar time. But because I saw it in a way that it was positioned for recognition and for consideration, uh, I gave it a little bit more license. No, I'm thankful for award season that it brings these kinds of movies to the forefront, that they get the marketing support that it's actually in front of me because I wouldn't have wanted to miss Anatomy of the Fall. It's not a, sty- a, a overly stylized film, but the form is very important to it, how they meet out and reveal the information and the story over time through the character study and the relationship study. I thought it was really well done. Even though there's nothing fancy or flashy about it, and we spend gobs and gobs of time in a courtroom, which could seem really boring, but there's enough going on with these characters, and and there's enough going on with their dynamic. I mean, you feel the third character of the relationship between Sandra and Samuel, and they're having that argument, because the relationship is real. And I appreciated that about Anatomy of the Fall, so I definitely give it a good. And those are my closing remarks. Thank you for listening to this episode and our discussion of Anatomy of a Fall, Golden Globe Award winner for Best Non-English Language. Golden Globes don't matter. Film or whatevermovies.com for 300 plus other discussions or whatevermovies at gmail.com, 818-835-0473 to get in touch with us. Thank you for listening and adjourned. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.